Okay, hello, I'm Adam Thornton and welcome once again to Films That Time Forgot, where, where we look at films from the past 40 odd years that have slipped under the radar since their release. As I said, I'm Adam Thornton, your host, and today I'm joined by Mike Lem. And Joel, me. Hey, yeah, what's up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and Joel Gutteridge. Hi guys, how you doing? Yeah, as we look at the 2001 techno thriller Swordfish, starring John Travolta, Hugh Jackman, and Halle Berry. Now, Mike, just before we start talking about the movie, you've had a pretty good um, you've had a pretty good summer, haven't you? Fantastic summer. Thank you for thank you for mentioning that, Adam. Yeah, we uh, I just got back from Edinburgh from the fringe, from the Fringe Festival. Uh, fantastic run. Thank you. Thanks to you, by the way, for coming out and seeing the show and and writing a great uh, great review. I appreciate it. Yeah, because you're um, you're a comedian turned playwright, if I've got that right. And it's been only your yes. second year at Edinburgh. Cause you were here last year, weren't you? Third year at Edinburgh, uh, second time. The first time I was just doing a compilation stand-up show. So this was, yeah, the second like uh, second time bringing my own show over there, and it was it was much better than the than last year. So it was great. Yeah, because um, because I mean, if you haven't seen Mike's stuff, I mean, he's just a fantastic, I mean, dramatic playwright. Really, kind of balances comedy and drama together. It's 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 um amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel like I feel like you're in my head. You've seen you've seen both of my shows. I feel like you know me more than uh, I know myself. Oh, well, that's um, <laughs> that's I okay. I'm, I mean, I mean, that's a great compliment. I mean, if, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, it's good for you. Don't mean it in a creepy way. No, not at all. Okay, not, not creepy at all. No. <laughs> uh, and uh, Joel, um, what have you been doing? Yeah, so I, um, I've just I've had a good summer. Uh, obviously, doing the fringe. Um, unfortunately, Mike, I didn't catch your show. Um, but I've been traveling a bit. Um, I work for like a media company that sort of services the, uh, sorry, tech company that services the media industry. I also was in the like film industry for like four years. So I'm really looking forward to like jumping into this, um, film and uh, dissecting it basically. Yeah. So the. So the film we're looking at is um, 2001's Swordfish, directed by Dominic Senna, who was mostly a commercial director. Um, he was making this film off a success with um, 2000 2000's Gone in 60 Seconds with Nicolas Cage and Angelina Jolie. It's, um, it was Hugh Jackman's first major role post his success in X-Men the previous year. And... Despite the hype over Halle Berry's nude scene, where she got paid an extra 500k for doing it, the film underperformed at the US box office, only made 69 million on a budget of 102 million, and it received mostly negative reviews. It was also, interestingly enough, withdrawn from UK cinemas following the 9 11 attacks. Oh, shit. Okay. Which, um, yeah, if you're looking at the film later on, uh, it won't be a surprise. Um, <laughs> yeah, what were your, I think so. what were your, um, had you, had any of you guys heard of the film before this? I have, I heard of the film. I remember seeing the poster for the film. I never actually watched it until about an hour ago or two hours ago. Oh really? You hadn't seen it before? Never. First time seeing it today. What about you? You guys have watched it before? Yeah. 
I think I saw this. I think I was one of those suckers who went to the the cinema to see this one myself. No way. Yeah. By yourself? Oh my god. <laughs> well, maybe not by myself, but yeah, I definitely did go see this. Oh, you're like like twelve years old, just going. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I was twelve. It makes more sense finding out that the director uh, used to make commercials and the gone in sixty seconds. Now it all it all starts to make sense. Now uh, I didn't know that before I watched the movie. Yeah, it's very stylized. I actually got this film as a Christmas present on DVD when I was fourteen. Amazing. And I and I act and I I not only liked it, I listened to the audio commentary and watched all of the special features as like the sad fourteen no year old I was back then. I would love. I was thinking I would love to have like a behind the scenes look at making this movie. Like that's I that would should be like its own separate like documentary. I'd love to know how this was made. That'd be fantastic. Well, it's interesting actually because the director does make some comments about the John Travolta character that very much reflects the time period that this movie was made in, or rather the time period that the commentary was recorded in. Yeah, I'm gonna go out and say this. Travolta is fantastic in this movie. Just, he is. It's not. It's just a madman. I love. I love the way he holds his like his cigars or whatever. Like I love. Oh uh, yeah. He's he's just such a such a he's he's in there, man. He commits. Yeah, he does. Sure. I mean, I mean, right from the beginning <laughs> of the movie, we have his character Gabriel Shear giving this what seems on the surface to be a really gripping monologue about the cliches of modern Hollywood, and he particularly refers to um. Now this is now this is. This is the only problem with this monologue. It's really well acted by Travolta, but he refers to the hostage situation in Dog Day Afternoon. And he talks about the way it was resolved as being the result of cliched Hollywood screenwriting, but there's a problem with that. And I wonder if any of you two know what that problem is. I, I, that bit, I, yeah, go I, ahead. I, I can't remember. I, I, can't, I haven't seen that film for so long. Um, isn't it isn't it based on a true story yep that's it exactly oh, it, oh god yeah okay yeah so so you know that was a case of you know the ending not being the result of a cliched hollywood screenwriting but actually being the result of real life events and you're kind of thinking yeah i think the screenwriter should have maybe picked a more appropriate example from the millions of other hollywood action films out there <laughs> can i can I tell you something? Like I, I love the opening title sequence to the movie. Yeah, uh, I was so engaged, but as soon as Travolta came on the screen, I'm like, oh, this is this is gonna go one way or the other. <laughs> like, yeah. like as as soon as the opening credit, the title credits changed to Travolta's face, I'm like, my my emotions immediately changed too. I'm like, oh, something something's yeah. gonna happen here. Yeah, because it's like which yeah. because with Travolta, it's flipping a coin. Are you gonna get like get shorty Travolta? Or are you gonna get Battlefield of Travolta? Exactly. It's like as soon as he comes on screen, you're like, "This could go either way." Oh, yeah, he, I mean, he commits. With that strip of a goatee, I I was going oh one God. way from the start. I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> this is going to be bad." Yeah, he he has Gabriel has interesting facial hair. He basically has this long, like, kind of curtains, floppy curtains, kind of hairdo, and he has like this strip, this small beard, which is literally a strip of hair on the chin, <laughs> and he he looks more like a sort of like. I was going to say like '90s European nightclub owner rather than rather than bank robber slash spoiler alert terrorist. <laughs> is he a terrorist or is he what he likes to like a reverse terrorist? Well, <laughs> well, let's not jump ahead because we're going to be coming on. To that. <laughs> um, what's interesting is this that you're not sure um, where Gabriel is giving this monologue 
from, but it turns out he's in a coffee shop just across the way from the bank where he is holding um, hostages um, strapped to um, bombs which contain ball bearings. And he's been talking to Hugh Jackman as the hacker Stanley Jobs, and he's been helping him, and to FBI agent Roberts, played by Don Cheadle. Now, this opening hostage scene, it's really well shot. I mean, despite what I've said earlier about the screenwriting goof, um, this is a really, really tense sequence. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, because you've got you've got the kind of hostages with the bombs strapped to them, and they and I think it's like motion control. So if they sort of go with with without within sort of like outside a certain radius, the bomb goes off. So the hostages almost in a way don't want to be saved, and the FBI agents um sort of pick one woman up and sort of drag her away. And Gabriel tells his men and the other hostages to get down. Um a, a Hugh Jackman and Don Cheadle do the same as they realize shit's going down, and as the hostage as the hostage is dragged out of the sort of risk radius, she explodes, and the camera spins around. In, I mean, obviously this is two years post Matrix, so you get a lot of the bullet time effects, but this is an amazing sort of slow mo effect as we see how this hostage explosion uh, it, it impacts on like the cops, the cop cars and the nearby um, sort of vehicles until um, it sort of goes back to normal speed again and we see the car slam down. Um, what did you guys think? Well, did you guys did you guys get that marketing when it first came out, being like, this is an upgrade from the Matrix? Like, they're like, we're taking what Matrix did with the bullet time and we are, like, adding chaos and mayhem to it. So I very much... That. Yeah, yes, I, got, I, I, I thought got the Matrix vibe to it. Yeah, and I was, I just, I was like, this is how they're opening. This is wild. This is like the, like the fact that they actually blew up that woman. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things. That's that's actually one of the things that really attacked, attracted me to this movie is this, that it doesn't sort of pull punches. You know, we don't get the hostage being saved by Don Cheadle as Roberts or Hugh Jackman as Stanley. Instead. What we're left with is Stanley lying on the ground, helpless as the um, blood-stained marble, sort of from the bomb, roll, uh, rolls towards him. As we flash back to four days ago, where we see um, we're at an airport in we're at an airport in LA. As we see Finnish hacker Axel Torvalds being arrested at the airport. And then we sort of cut straight away from that to U.S. Senator Reisman, played by Sam Shepard, being informed of Axel Torvalds' arrest, and reveal and it's and it's revealed that Torvalds has been and it's Torvalds' arrest, and then well, it's been revealed that Torvalds has been working for him, and then we cut straight away from this to um, a trailer park in Texas where Stanley is playing golf on top of the, on the roof of his trailer whilst um whilst Ginger pulls up in her sports car to meet him um when i first saw this i was kind of blown away by the sort of rapid cutting from like one scene to the next i was like what 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 whoa, we're being introduced to all these characters here what's going on here this isn't straightforward it kind of threw me off guard as well as the opening and i don't know did did you guys find the same 
Yeah, and I, I love how it's all over the course of four days. That, that was I forgot. I forgot yeah. that it was four, all, all four days. Uh, I I thought I I was um. There were so many characters, but also uh, Sam Shepard. That's like the best, uh, the the easiest slash best acting gig of all time. Like if I could be anyone in this movie, Sam Shepard. Like that was just he had like the perfect role. Oh yeah, because I mean he, I mean he doesn't get many scenes either. But he like, get many, uh, he, you know, he probably got paid well. You know, yeah, he did like three days. You know, he yeah. <laughs> doesn't have to deal with all the craziness. You know, it's like uh, that's he he got a good 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 gig out of this. You know, well, I think Adam. There was I, I you know one key element as well is in Texas. Hugh Jackman is obviously hitting hitting golf balls in yeah. a town. You know, yeah, complete thirst trap, trap, just whacking balls with this towel. Oh, yeah, you know, showing all the goods, you know, post, uh, you know. Well, it's not just a thirst trap for the girls, there's also a thirst trap for the guys as well. As Ginger, played by Halle Berry, pulls up in her pulls up in her sports car and starts alternating between hitting on Stanley and basically insulting him. By trying to by trying to recruit him to getting back into the hacking game, he's a hacker. He was imprisoned. Um, he was imprisoned. He's lost. Co- he's lost um, uh, custody of his daughter Holly. Um, and he basically says to her, says to Ginger that if he, you know, if he if he sort of gets back into the hacking game, it's back to jail for him. And in the and and what um. And what happens is, is that we then get um, Stanley phoning his ex, his ex-wife Melissa, played by Drea De Matteo from The Sopranos, to ask about Holly, and um, and and it turns out in the course of this conversation that Melissa is um, married to Larry, who is uh, he was who's described as the porn king of Southern California. I want more Larry. They didn't even show him. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping Travolta will turn out to be Larry too. I feel like that'll be that have been a good twist. Yeah, sadly we don't get to see um, that much of Larry. Um, that that's an area that the film won't go. That that's an area that the film won't get to in terms of showing off TNA in whatever. It, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna hit to that level of sleaziness. <laughs> but you know the with the like this this film like all the characters are giving you like eleven right like whether it's from the writing or performance, like um, his ex-wife is like drinking vodka when waking up. She, oh, yeah. You know, smoking, drinking vodka. She has no idea where the camera is. She walks past cameras. <laughs> you know, the whole film is just like 100% all the characters are 11 plus. You know, they're yeah. just absolutely going mm-hmm. for it, you know? I mean, they, they flat out portray her as just a... For lack of a better word, an amoral skank, really. They kind of really, yeah, they kind of, over-characterization is crammed up to 11, and particularly with the female characters, which nowadays you probably would not get away with, and it doesn't surprise me. But, yeah, basically, uh, Melissa basically reminds Stan that he can't get access to Holly, and um, and as a result of Stan hanging up um, in in anger, Ginger basically tells Stan that the only chance of get his only chance of getting to see Holly is to afford a good lawyer, and he'll the only way he'll be able to afford that is by working is by agreeing to, to meet up with Gabriel, as she's working for Gabriel Shear, and she gives him a hundred k just to get started with, 
and then we cut from this um and then we cut from this to Axel Torvalds getting interrogated by Don Cheadle in the in, in the um, airport interrogation room. Surprisingly stylish, I think, for an airport interrogation room. I, I, I don't think they look like that in real life. Well, with the glass mirror, with the glass like uh, two way mirror type. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Yeah, very police. It's like a very police stationy like. You know, when Dylan Cheadle comes in, he comes in like again eleven. He's raging. He's got his gun out in the middle of a like interrogation with a car, which is like a suspect. You know, the love Don Cheadle. Cheadle's great. Yeah. He, he, he's Cheadle's great in everything. He's fantastic, but yeah. just the way he goes between like friendly and intimidating with Torvalds, and the way he kind of, <laughs> the way he kind of chucks, he way he kind of throws Torvalds' lawyer out the room. There's, uh, yeah. There's one thing that I like about this film, and I, well, there's a lot of things I like about this film. <laughs> there's just one. There's just one that. Yeah. But the the way that like all the bad guys or anyone who does like anything related to like uh, tech or hacking, they can like like navigate institutional spaces with ease. They just oh, walk yeah. through. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They just walk through airports, police stations because they are you know above the law. They can hack their way into any situations. I thought it was a nice, it was a nice like personification of that like feeling that like hacking can get anywhere at any time. Oh, that yeah. is a good take on hacking too, because like usually, especially nowadays, like hackers are portrayed more as like uh, nerdy, like antisocial kind of yeah. uh, kind of types. These guys are like all calm and cool and everything. Yeah, I mean, it's Hugh Jackman too. Yeah, yeah, very stylish looking. You've got Hugh Jackman, um, and you've got this guy, Hugh Axel Torvalds, who looks like a male model. These, these are the most photogenic looking hackers, I think, in yeah. the history of in, in the history of, of in, in history, really, the history of hacking. Um, yeah, yeah, they're definitely not your your average incel nerds. Um, yeah, right, right, right. And then you got well, Travolta at the top too. Yeah. Well, speaking of Travolta being stylish, as um, as Axel Torvalds is talking about the guy who hires who's, who, who hired him, who's Gabriel. Um, he mentions that he lives in a world beyond your world. He doesn't know Gabriel's name, and we see um, basically this. But it's basically played over this shot of Travolta entering a nightclub full of hot babes, looking like the coolest guy in the room. Oh my um, God. The way he got out of that car is so funny. Like, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's so, yeah, it's just great. That's so yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah, with the techno he music just, playing in the background. I feel like he doesn't know either. It's, it's definitely like it's either a character choice or he just doesn't know what to do with his hands in this movie. Yeah. Like, because the way he got out of the car, the way he holds the like the, the cigarette or the clove that he's yeah. smoking, like, I don't think he knows what he's doing. Like, or it could just be he's so committed to this character that this is what the character does. <laughs> like, he gets out of the car a certain way. It's, it's so, yeah. and I love how the, the, the wind's blowing in his hair as he walks into the club. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's so you, ridiculous. It's like that Travolta knows how to smoke a cigarette, but in this film, you yeah. think he doesn't. But I'm like, is he doing it on purpose? Though I don't know if he's doing it as like the character. Like maybe that's how he decided to guy smoke cigarettes or something. It, it's, it's, so it's hard to say because Travolta's performance, particularly in this, is very kind of it's very it, it's an interesting performance. Let's just say he kind of goes from. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's a very kind of it's a very kind of interesting stylized performance, and you're sort of wondering if a cigarette thing is yeah, the cigar thing is that him genuinely doing that's part of the character, or is this him like I don't know if you've seen the movie The Fanatic, where he's just 
his performance is so all over the place in that. Is it just an example of him just, you know, fucking up and then just leaving it in the film? Yeah. There's no, like, there had to be, like, there had to be someone on the set being like, hey, man, you don't, we, you don't hold a cigarette there. I don't know, maybe, but this is like Pete Travolta, not Pete Travolta, but I mean, <laughs> I wonder, like, I wonder if there's anyone on the set that was like, hey, you should probably hold it this way, but or you just didn't care. I don't well, know. From what it I'm... sounds... From what it sounds from the audio commentary, the director was kind of in awe of Travolta. So he he was he seemed to be like yeah, one of the be. main he seemed to be one of the main stars because his his star power was still pretty high at this stage. So I think it was just a case of whatever John's doing, let him do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. He's like the he's got the the Nicolas Cage thing going on, you know? This Very makes cool. sense. Oh yeah. So one of the one of the failings though is that like Compared to the Matrix, right, we get this guy Morpheus, and he's built up in this mystery. And he's it's maybe only twenty minutes until we meet him, but we meet John Travolta's character immediately. Yeah, there's that's no mystery. one problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you there's no mystery about it. It's like this ghost, and then the next scene, he walks into a club, and like you say, wind is blowing through his hair. <laughs> yeah, it it kind of ruins the whole thing they're trying to set up with. He lives in a world beyond your world, and we're like, "Hey, we've seen him, and we know that he looks like he a, he looks like kind of like a European, a mainland European nightclub owner, circa nineteen ninety eight. We kind of that kind of gets rid of the mystery a little bit. Had he played like a, a villain type character at this up to this point in his career? Was this like he a big, had played like, one game? in Battlefield Earth, but that was pretty much it. Well, I was- was that after? Was that before this or after? Yeah, that? that that was like the year before this. Oh wow! Oh, okay. So, Travolta, man. Yeah. So what happens is is that um, Agent Roberts is distracted by a phone call and Torvalds is left a room alone in the interrogation room. And speaking of what you were saying, Joel, about the hackers being able to get anywhere, we see that behind the um, the two way mirror is Vinnie Jones as as um, John Travolta's henchman. And, and, and at, at the exact moment that Torvalds has his head pressed to the glass of the interrogation room, Jones basically shoots him in the head. And then he kills yeah. um, Torvalds' lawyer. John Don Cheadle reveals, uh, realizes, oh shit, um, something's up. And then when he bursts into the interrogation room, he finds Torvalds dead. I mean, that's, I mean, that by itself is a pretty, I mean, it's probably impractical, but it's an awesome sequence. Yeah. <laughs> like we were talking about right at the top, it's like there's a lot of like quite um, like hard cuts between scenes. Yeah. And like moments in this film where it works and there's moments in this film that it doesn't, but that's a prime example of cutting from Don Cheadle having this conversation to what's going on and the tension building. Oh, yeah. The, the, I think the hard cuts really work there. But there's plenty of times in this film where the hard cuts are just jarring, you know, because of, you know, what's going on. Well, we get kind of a hard, a jarring hard cut here from like um, Torvald's dead body to Hugh Jack, to um, Stanley and Ginger in the, in the elevator going going to um, the nightclub where Gabriel is. It's a kind of a, mm. kind of a jarring hard cut and it's revealed there that uh, Ginger is working for Gabriel. And Gabriel Gabriel reveals that it's that he didn't just want to meet Stan, he wanted to challenge him. And so I don't think any hacker has ever had to do this. He basically forces Stanley to hack into a Department of Defense base on a laptop on a computer whilst he's being given a blowjob. 
at gunpoint by Vinnie Jones, who was teleported all the way from the airport to the nightclub. And I love how we're still we're still only like ten minutes into the movie. Like I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I can't even like log into my emails within yeah. sixty seconds. Like, <laughs> my password. Oh, okay. Now I've forgotten it. You know. <laughs> and and the one problem um, this sequence. I mean, it's. I mean, it is tense, but you then realize that one hacking is kind of uncinematic. Um, because yeah. it's a lot of people typing at keyboards. And number two, you realize that Hugh Jackman is kind of just bashing away at the keys at, the, yeah. at, at that point. I mean, you can argue it's out of desperation, but it looks more like he doesn't know what to do. I really I think this comes comes from the director's like commercial background, being like, yeah. just get him smashing the keyboard and you know, we'll and it will look great. If you know? I was in that situation, I feel like I also want to know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because because it's just and, and you get this later on when he's like constructing the like the hacking program um he's sort yeah. of he's sort of just like randomly tapping or bashing away at certain keys and you're like oh this doesn't look accurate yeah. to me this looks like you've just been told what to do on the spot and according what, to the do you remember what they said yeah go on sorry no, go. You go. Sorry. No, no. I was going to say the director. According to the director and the commentary, that was basically what they did. They basically just got Hugh Jackman to bash away at random keys whilst the technical advisor shouted random hacking phrases at him. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask you. I was wondering what the audio commentary was for this scene. Like that's just it's such a ridiculous scene. I, I would, I'd, I'd love to hear like, like a, he... like. I think the director's mostly. I, I, I don't even know if he's really talking about the, the actual sequence at that point. I think he's just. Yeah. I mean, I think at the beginning he sort of said he sort of makes a sort of comment like you know, you know, um, oh, oh, it's two kinds of job when when like when like the woman sort of you know <laughs> unzipping huge oh Jackman's fly. <laughs> I think it's it's something like that. Um, this audio commentary was recorded in two thousand and two, fifteen years before Me Too, by the way. So. You can get away yeah. with that kind of stuff. Since and how how what was the budget on this movie? So it was like a hundred and seven yeah. million dollars. Yeah, it, it was it was it was just over a hundred million. Yeah, and like the amount of the amount of people that had to read that script. I wonder if they got that money because of Travolta and like Hugh Jackman, like because and Halle yeah. Berry. Is that because? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, like, I, I I would assume so. Yeah. Because there's no way to get if you just get the script of this movie and like there's no way you can get a hundred million dollars just off the script like someone big like one of them had to be attached to the project already to like make it happen especially with this scene you're like how do you get a hundred million dollars out of the scene <laughs> yeah I mean because I mean there's not many big action sequences and when they come they are kind of jarring but that yeah. is but that is later on so what happens is is that Stanley manages to manages to solve um, Gabriel's challenge and he is. And he is um, recruited to, and he's recruited to to join him. And despite Stanley being angry, um, Ginger persuades him, one by bringing up the daughter, and also by basically forcing herself on him. Mm, yeah, I think it's um, again a lot of this film is just like crazy. I mean, I think Hugh Jackman and um, Highbury have crazy chemistry in this film. Oh right? yeah, they're just. They are like they they build the tension really well between them, and I think a lot of the characters have great tension. But there is just so there's so much problematic behavior throughout oh, yeah. the whole thing. 
it's so of the era of 2001, right? Like, oh, it's per- the perfect, and- yeah, perfect 2001 movie. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, we've already got the characterization of, of Stan's of Stan's ex, and later on, we're going to get two sequences with Halle Berry that, yeah, are very much appealing to a certain crowd in 2001, and you could only you could you could you could only do it in in sort of that golden era of the late 90s, early like 2000s, a, I feel. It's like that movie, it's like American Pie, but with like hacking and guns. Yeah. yeah. I will, Basically, I will yeah. Say, though, I will say, though, like, who credit the movie in, in a little bit on this is that, you know, Hugh Jackman's a handsome dude. Oh, and, yeah. And he is, his body is shown off in the film in, in a pretty voyeuristic mm. way as well. But not to say that, like... It's like it's um, fine to you know objectify like the women in the film, but I think the film also objectifies Hugh Jackman a yeah. lot, and I think his star power is is quite clear in the film. Like he's a handsome guy, and he's showing it off. You know, yeah, it's basically that kind of stylized sort of MTV direction, which you got a lot exactly. during the late nineties, early two thousands. Oh, and I think this film kind of, and I think the director, I mean, Dominic Senna, we've mentioned, he comes from a commercial background. And I think the way he shows off these, his, his casts, his hot, his hot casts bodies in this film reflects that. Exactly. Yeah, it definitely has like a, a music video vibe to it, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so we then go from this scene to Agent Roberts being told by stereotypical computer geeks so the type of guys who you would expect to be hackers, but um, Stanley, who Roberts arrested, is back in LA, which brings him back to Roberts' attention. And speaking of sexism, they the, the geeks also check out Halle Berry. Yeah, yeah. Do, is, do they? Does one of them have a tape, like a, a porno tape that the the the, the guy made? Like the, the one guy has yeah. a VHS tape, and is that a reference to the porn guy? Yeah, that, uh, it is. Yeah, he just, yeah. He, he just has. He just, he just randomly has that tape. Yeah, he he yeah he he references the whole porn king of Southern California thing, and he brought it to work with him. You know, he brought. I, yeah, I just love that he happens to have this VHS. Yeah, uh, just happens to have. Stuff, you know, yeah. Whenever I see a VHS in a film now, I just think, oh my god, like. I feel like it's a million mark, million years ago. Yeah. Yeah, 2001 was kind of like the dying era of VHS, really. It's like this film and oh. The Ring, you watch and The Ring, you watch them both. And then as soon as the VHS comes out, you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is early 2000s, without a doubt. Um, yeah, for sure. So at Gabriel's mansion, Stan, Stanley has shown this kind of seven-screen computer setup. And they're told that they want a sort of, and he's told that he wants a worm, that Gabriel wants a worm program to hack into seven different government bank accounts simultaneously at once. And and I know they had to visually represent it, but I don't think they quite needed the seven screen approach. That seems a bit illogical for if you if you're trying to pay attention to like one thing at a time. It just seemed a bit distracting to have these seven screens in a circle above your head. So you're constantly having to crane your neck to look upwards as you're hacking. Yeah. Again, I think it's just, again, again it's just what we talked about is the, 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 the commercial director coming out, you know, being like, yeah. you would be cool. Six screens in a circle. Mm-hmm. Then Hugh Jackman just can't believe his luck at seeing the six screens. They're going to be so high up that his neck will hurt to look at them. 
You know, like ergonomically, this is going to be a real problem for Hugh Jackman. He was impressed. He was more impressed by the screens than by uh, Howie Berry. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, speaking of Halle Berry, the next day, Stanley wakes up and goes into and goes into the, the living room, I guess, to see Ginger completely full frontal without wearing a bar, you, without, without wearing a, a bra, excuse me. We see Halle Berry's um, boobs completely out. And um, yeah, this was the scene that she got she got paid half a million extra for and which gained a lot of hype in the press. She deserves more. She deserves a uh, like. It's great to see her like actually getting some like a uh, some serious like acting praise now. Like she just directed like her first movie. Uh, yeah, like a year yeah, or two she ago. did. Um, yeah. So I was like, it, like that was like one of the most frustrating parts of this movie is just watching like they didn't know how to use Halle Berry besides just as like a sex symbol. Yeah. Um, she's still great in the movie, but I was like, oh man, what's that's? I'm I'm glad she got paid extra for that. That's cool. Yeah, it kind of reflects how she was kind of seen in Hollywood during that period, though, because yeah. again, in Die Another Day, she was very much like the Bond yeah. girl, and uh, the Bond girl. Oh yeah, not, walking and, out of the water, yeah. Yeah, the Bond girl, and not, and not just like, the, not the tough, resourceful Bond girl, she's very much at the end, just helpless, and really just there, just to look attractive, and then Catwoman really sexualizes her to a ridiculous degree, where she wears... The Catwoman costume she wears in that film was basically a stripper's outfit. Yeah, but the but you know what? Again, all credit to Halle Berry in this film, right? Because she is given script-wise like so little. The whole the whole time she's like trying to manipulate this guy or whatever. And you know what? I thought she was great. You know, yeah. like she really like yeah. all really like, good in it. Yeah, for sure. With, with with basically nothing, right? Yeah. Like in terms of character development or what have you. So real credit to her to, to be able to get a lot out of not very much. I agree. Yeah. So basically all that scene is there for is for Ginger to give Stanley the keys to one of Gabriel's cars so that he can drive to see Holly to pick her up at school. And mm-hmm. and the scene where Stan the scene where, where Stan meets Holly is one of the few examples one of the few times where I feel like the film is more low-key and is better for it. We just get this tender a reunification between um, daughter and father and both actors really do a great job of selling the relationship between the two um, um, Hugh Jackman really shows his Stanley's love for Holly and Holly does a good job of showing her concern that Stanley's going back to hacking asking will we be safe and the whole the whole scene from the moment we see Holly alone at school to when Stanley leaves outside her the, the door of her mom's house where she hasn't really answered the phone to pick up Holly. That whole scene is very tender, but it feels like, along with one or two other sequences later on, like it belongs to a different film. I don't know what yeah. you thought. Yeah, for sure. It was it was wild, no? Like it was, like you say, it was all of a sudden very <laughs> slow pain and emotional. I feel bad for the little girl because I don't know what the costume designer put her in. Oh but yeah, it was wild. It was just like she looked like I don't know, like someone from Charmed, you know, the TV show or something. It was yeah. crazy. What they yeah, she yeah she yeah they kind of dressed her up to look more like a teenager. I thought I thought she doesn't really yeah. look like a 10, 11 year old. She looks more like thirteen ish. 
Yeah, yeah. What uh, where what locate? Where are we supposed to be in this movie? Like, is this a like where? What is the city that we're supposed to be in? Because I feel it's like when in... he picked her up at school, there is like, yeah, like it's in L.A., right? Yeah. When, yeah. They, when he picked her up at school, there is like, there's like the leaves were changing, like there was foliage on the, like there is a like it, it yeah. felt like like an autumn scene in like New England. And then yeah. Now, um, and then like, and then when he dropped her off at the the mom's house, like it was, <clears> I was like, I was like uncomfortable by that scene. Like it made a like. Because they didn't build up the relationship enough. Like, I didn't like it, it, it. Like, it almost felt like a conversation he was going to have with somebody he was trying to run away with and have like an affair with. It was super uncomfortable for me to watch. All right. Like, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> it's like, really? It's, yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah. He's like, we can, we can, uh, we can, we can get back together or something like that. I think oh. he said something like that. And I'm like, it was like, it was kind of like creepy at, at, at a certain point. Cause so... like, even like, I didn't care okay. enough about the characters yet to like establish like oh, a father daughter right. relationship. I was like, well, this is just weird. Well, I mean, so I... true, Mike, because, because uh, the the with the with the context of the movie being so like objectifying, you know, to then throw this like tender thing in with this. Oh kid, yeah, that was weird. It was kind yeah. of a little like a little too much of a juxtaposition that I'm not really ready for. And what you said, Adam. It feels like a completely different film, so it does, yeah. it does stick out. I'm a, I'm a god limp. That was the the weirdest part of the movie to to me for me. Wow. Okay. So that was even weirder. That was even weirder than the forced blowjob hacking scene. Yep. And yep. the stuff with the bus that comes later on. That yep. whole little yep. tender yep. father daughter chat was the weirdest that was moment the weirdest in the part film. Me. Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. Right. Okay. I was I was not I was I was not expecting that. Um, but speaking of tonal shifts, we then um, have Stanley being surprised by Roberts, as well as the other FBI agents who chase Stanley on foot. And initially it's kind of, it's well edited. It's very tensely shot. It's like a similar scene in Point Break. Um, and yeah. it's really effective until the scene where they have to roll down a, a, a kind of like a small kind of, a small kind of cliff cycle of slope. And Stanley rolls down this small hill and Roberts follows him. And it's just like endless, endless shots of these two guys rolling towards each other um, as tense music players of the soundtrack. And whose decision was it to like have this really long hill rolling scene be 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 added to this tense chase sequence? Do you remember what they said in the the commentary? Did they did they talk about the scene? Well, apparently, what and um, what the director said was was that he filmed um, the scene at the end of it where Don Cheadle basically, where where um, where Roberts tells Stanley that um, that he not basically kind of confronts Stanley after, before they filmed the whole sort of lengthy um, oh, uh, chase sense. scene. And and yeah. what and what happened was was that at the end of filming. When the whole thing had been cut together, Don Cheadle turned to the director and said that if he'd known that they would look so clean in the scene at the end of the chase scene, that oh. he wouldn't have bothered, that he wouldn't have bothered doing the whole lengthy chase rolling down the hill scene. And he actually asked um, the director to cut the chase scene down when they're rolling down the hill, and the director just went, "Don, no, 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 no." <laughs> we gotta keep it it's too good yeah know? it's too much of a draw this this rolling down the seat so funny it, it is, totally like makes you, sense yeah. like you were saying adam that is just that is just completely that's completely point break yeah you know? right up until the hill scene yeah 
And I think this is this is something that's going to be a theme throughout the whole film, where clearly this director just has watched his favourite action films, favourite thrillers, and is just taking pieces from everything mm. and just, and just like, paper macheing it. Like, because there's things of all kinds of genres. Um, and in that way, it's kind of crazy and artistic, but also, like, wild to watch. Yeah. Like, um, I'm not sure we talked about it yet, but the grade of this film is just wild. Oh, like, yeah, it gets wilder. The green, the green, <laughs> it gets what you're absolutely right. It gets wilder and wilder, but it's like a little oversaturated. There's like green tinting everywhere. That's probably from the lighting. Yeah. Um, very matrix. It's like very like on the nose of trying to be like matrixy. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. It's really interesting. So what happens is, is that Stan is then confronted by Roberts and the FBI agents. Um, Roberts wants to know why Stan in LA, and he and he, you know, and he says that he can help Stanley see Holly. Um, Stanley's cynical about this again because of their past history. Roberts then informs Stanley about Axel's arrest and death, and gives him his card and and says, you know, if you if you if you know anything about this guy who you're working for, tell me. And he warns Stanley that it's going way over. And he's, and he's going in way over his head. So what happens is, is that Stanley then wants after a, after a long day hill rolling, he walks in on he walks <laughs> he walks in on Ginger um, with a wire on her, and once again they've got Halle Berry in a in a in full on lingerie bra panties and everything. And I know it's supposed to show that she has a wire on her. But come on, there's clearly another ulterior motive to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's a wild scene to cut from a, again, to cut to this all of a sudden. Yeah. Um just the idea that like this, you know, she's he's meant to walk in on her in this way, in this intimate way. Um he doesn't like not, he just he's just walking around this mansion that he's been in for less than 24 hours. Yeah. Um it's a pretty wild again. It's just a wild scene, and this just keeps getting wilder. You know, and it's and it's a pretty oh, yeah. intense scene because she's holding Stanley at gunpoint, and she says, and she reveal, and Ginger then reveals that she's a DEA agent who's investigating Gabriel undercover, and that if Gabriel finds out about her, that's it. And and she tells Stanley to basically just go ahead with with the whole plan. Um, just go ahead with the whole plan. Um, and then once it's done, just to get out of there, and yeah. and and then and then Gabriel walks in on this confrontation, <laughs> just casually walks in. <laughs> yeah, cas- casually walks in on Halle Berry, um, on Halle Berry, completely, completely kind of you know in in a lingerie. But what the director says in the commentary is apparently he he added a look between Halle Berry and John Travolta that was supposed to foreshadow. The plot yeah. twist between Ginger and Gabriel that um, comes okay. later. Did that was that clear to, to you two? Because I I don't know if he was really successful in that. No, I don't. I I don't pick up on that at all. I don't think that look is significant enough from a filming perspective. You know, to be like because because uh, Travolta's not giving it enough. You know, that look could be almost anything. Um, but obviously, knowing the the part, the future of the film, like how it ends, it's very like obviously connected, you know. Yeah, but yeah. So basically, this, the the director's attempts to try and give foreshadowing, it's him. It's him trying to give himself too much credit. I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
I just, I, I just want to know how Travolta created this character. That's all I want to know. Yeah. Every, every, time he's on, every time he's on screen, I'm like, how is this, what is, what is happening here? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I just want to hear the discussions in wardrobe about how why oh Gabriel, God, yeah. why Gabriel has the look. Was I mean, I mean, I'm trying to imagine Travolta selling the um selling the costume designer on this look and saying no i must look like a european nightclub owner circa <laughs> circa 1998 do this yeah 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 my, my, theory, my theory is that he just came to set like this and yeah he had to change so yeah, he, all, completely... he, yeah, he, he always has a suit on right in every scene he has a yeah. suit on, uh, uh yeah yeah, yeah. it's pretty so, wild so what then happens is, is that Gabriel then meets up with Stanley over coffee about operate about um about Operation Swordfish, which is where the film gets its title. So title drop. Is this, is this a real thing? Is uh, that did anyone look that up? I'm I'm not sure. I, I I actually didn't look it up. Funnily enough, I I listened to the audio commentary, but I did not look it up. So I have no I idea if this yeah, is. Yeah, I know. Great. that... Great code name. It's a it's an awesome code name for SM. Yeah, yeah. If I was yeah. if I was watching the film, I'd be like, oh my god, I'm gonna do an Operation Swordfish, you know? <laughs> yes, uh, Operation Swordfish was, according to Gabriel, in the movie at least, a DEA operation in the mid-80s that left 9.5 billion in the DEA accounts. And Gabriel is hacking into these accounts. Um uh, he believes that hacking into these accounts will get him that money which he believes was misappropriated. And, and, and also we learned that the FBI is staking out Gabriel's house and that pictures are being taken by Roberts off Gabriel and, um, and his associates, including, including Hugh Jackman. Mm. I think we also learned that Hugh Jackman is a horrible negotiator. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's like, we'll pay you 10 million. And this, this is a, a billion dollar operation. <laughs> <laughs> or nine oh, nine billion is that like nine billion? Yeah, it's nine yeah, nine billion. billion. You know, and he's it all hinges on his labor. You know, I so. mean, he's just he just wants to go back to golfing on the the roof of his trailer. Yeah. You know, I think he just, should really be like thinking about striking. You know, and uh, yeah, withholding labor. And following this, we now get a, a plot twist as we find out that Senator Reisman from earlier on is linked to Gabriel as. He phones Gabriel to tell him that um, that he's got the FBI photos of him, and that op and that his operation has been terminated. And Gabriel says otherwise. So big plot twist there. Done, done, done. The senator. I think this is also like a a, a big like early two thousands things. Like I I don't think one senator has this much power. Like I think that is like yeah. an early like two thousands kind of like not understanding fully how like government works i don't think a, i don't think a senator could like actually pull off all this kind of like behind the scenes kind of hijinks yeah Maybe because like you know probably more than us about that but like it does feel like the senator was the boogeyman in terms of uk us you know politics in like action thriller films. Yeah, yeah 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 for sure and it's like and i in reality i don't think that could actually happen i think i don't know it'd be, it'd be more realistic if they're like president or something i don't know i don't i don't think a senator could pull it off yeah it's well it's kind of up there with um uh clint eastwood in absolute power as the secret service bodyguard and um, shooting killing the president and being able to cover it up oh wow <laughs> yeah exactly 
<laughs> so what happens is that after Reisman gets off the phone, he then he then tells his assistant that Gabriel that Gabriel has to be taken out because he's gone rogue. We then go from this to an to an extreme montage of Stanley creating the um the worm that's gonna hack into these multiple accounts. It's scored by a very 90s kind of funk techno soundtrack which was provided by paul oakenfold who's now sadly been uh me too'd oh no way uh, oh, yeah no way. yeah apparently he like sexually harassed his pa or something oh, okay the the music in this film is um like all of that like ilk no it's all oh like, yeah like laced with some form of techno or yeah. you know like i i didn't hate it i thought it was a bit much you know in places for sure but like it adds to the chaos of this film. Oh, in a way, it's so kind of, of the time too. Like it's so early two thousands. Yeah, big time. And we get to see more Hollywood hacking here as Hugh Jackman tries to make the sequence look seem sexy and cool. <laughs> he's doing little spins in his chair. <laughs> he even at one point does a little kind of dance where he's kind of um, when he's solved the um, when he's sort of created his program and he's like randomly tapping away at the keys, bashing away. And this is this is where the audio commentary said they had the guy off camera shouting out hacking terms to, to Hugh Jackman. And, uh, and um, Adam, can you is, was this a Joel Silver production or no? Yes, or, it is. Like, it is a Joel Silver like, production. It feels very much like a Joel Silver production. Oh, it in the does. Sense that it's like it treats the audience like goddamn morons. You oh, know, it does. they say like, you know, a couple of graphics of some boxes. Yeah. You know? So so the audience know that hacking is going on because otherwise yeah. we would we would never piece it together. What know? else has he made? What else was uh so he was a producer? Oh, oh yeah, he he was he was the big like 80s action producer, like he produced like The Last Boy oh, Scout, no. Lethal Weapon. Um, all the big action oh, movies okay. of the nineties. It was oh, this, him. This does have such a like a. This does have like a big lethal weapon vibe to it. Yeah, well, in terms he's, of the architecture. He's just got the reputation of being a bit of a, a crazy guy. Oh, he is like, completely. Make these over. Yeah, real, real like um, cowboy in Hollywood in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after after all that hacking is taken out of him, Stanley goes to get a bottle of wine and he finds Gabriel's dead body in a sort of nearby <laughs> glass cabinet. <laughs> and then immediately afterwards, he bumps into Gabriel, who immediately takes Stanley into a high-speed drive in his sports car. And Gabriel's going on about Harry Houdini and misdirection. Stanley's just as confused as the audience is and then all of a sudden, we realize that um, Gabriel's being pursued by Senator Reisman's men. And this mad car chase breaks out where Travolta gets Stanley to hold the wheel as he kind of stands up like the Matrix, pulls out two twin Uzis and shoots both <laughs> of the cars on either side of him. No other than the opening scene, which is actually a fairly tense hostage scene. We've not had an action sequence like this before in this film, and none of the film leading up to the point, this point, has like anticipated that this action scene is going to happen. And then it gets madder and madder with Gabriel pulling out like an AK forty-seven and like shooting the next car, and then finally sending the next car crashing 
into a restaurant table. It's just, it belongs to another film. Adam, I think I think this would make more sense if he brought out an AK-47, which is an easy-to-use rifle. But he brings out, like, a heavy machine gun. Yeah, I was going to he... say, it's heavy machine gun, not AK. God, even worse. Or better, that depending gun, on your view. That gun probably ruined the suspension of that car. I was like, going to say, car, yeah. You know, it's probably, the suspension has probably been shot just because of the weight of that weapon in the back. And he is not anticipating that the senator is going to come after him. So he is just carrying around this gun, uh, you know, generally. It's like a a weird thing I noticed during this ridiculous scene as he's driving in in a UK, like European car, like he's driving on the other side. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that's just it's such a classic Gabriel. It's got to be different, you know. It's kind of yeah. yeah. classic games. Like that's the one that I I immediately noticed that as the whole shootout was going on. I'm like, oh, he's driving on the 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 UK side. Well, it's I mean, I guess you could say that adds to Gabriel's sleazy European side, or it could. It be... really does. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think he took the uh, the phrase like "leave a handsome corpse behind" a little too seriously. Oh about yeah. That wine cellar. Yeah, yeah. That was, a, that was such an insane scene. Just him, I, him standing up in that car is just nuts. Why? Uh, well, why? Uh, why does Why does uh, Hugh Jackman's character even consider just going for a ride with this guy when he just saw what he's? Yeah, you know. And I love how uh, how easy he learned how to drive that stick shift too. Oh, oh yeah, just like learn. <laughs> just like, like, learn. Like, right, so, um, but so, like that, that's what this film could have done with a bit of finesse, right? Like. It could have done with like a little bit like maybe a, he's been hacking all day, a sort of semi like lucid dream sequence where he's seeing this body, but he very much sees the body and then immediately gets in the car with this nutcase. Well, yeah, I wish the uh, that audio commentary was just the editor talking about like oh. how he put all this together. Oh, boy. that would be fascinating. Yeah. Like um, what, what did they leave out? <laughs> but, but what's even more implausible is this, but Stanley once again tries to leave, but yet again, he's his daughter is brought to this leverage. So, you know, so that's it. They don't and even then, seem that close. Him and his daughter don't even seem like they, they don't even, they didn't build up that like relationship enough. Yeah. I guess it's the and human also, interest angle. Yeah. And also like that he is clearly loving hacking again. Like, yeah. We, oh, he's back. Yeah. We, we get this sense that he's like, he's going to do anything for his daughter. You put this guy in front of six screens and he's having the best time of his life. He's drinking. He's gonna. Wine. He's gonna use all of them. He uses he uses all the screens. <laughs> yeah, he's using every screen imaginable. He's having the best time. He ain't drinking wine. <laughs> yeah, you know, his daughter is like is not in the, in the question right now. <laughs> so what then happens after that is Gabriel then flies in a helicopter to meet Senator Reisman and basically say, "What the hell, dudes? You know why? <laughs> you know why'd you try and kill me?" And um, and he also reveals in this kind of when he's in this outburst that he's changed identity so many times he doesn't know who he is. So that's another bit of foreshadowing, which I liked. I liked that they only gave just that little bit. True. Yeah, that was good. And and he then shoots Senator Reisman, but not before giving this weird fact about Thomas Jefferson was killed by a man in the White House lawn, which is apparently an urban legend which has been found to be untrue and which its soul originated oh, from this film. So I don't know why they made it up for this film. 
such a weird like like a uh, storyline going on like just the whole like america involved with just the whole like politics of it i just don't understand i i don't understand that whole like storyline yeah i quite like that i quite like that because like this character is quite unhinged yeah and he is building like a narrative that doesn't quite add up like his yeah. own narrative a real okay. narrative so it makes sense that he's like pulling this like fake assassination up as reason to like kill a senator and to form a i guess a militia or some kind you know it's just he's just like a unhinged dude i don't think he's wearing a suit in the scene either he's he's out in the wilderness no suit that's time huh yeah so (laughs) so what then happens is that stanley is then taken to this um location which looks like an old rundown theater and he's met by gabriel and Gabriel gives him the full kind of backstory that basically that 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 one he's done his job, but that Gabriel is part of a secret government organization um look, working to finance attacks on terrorist states and terrorist actors who are targeting United States. Um, installations such as military installations, um, the United States directly, or you know, the United States uh, embassy. So basically, so basically using terrorism to fight against terrorism. Now this came out again in the summer of two thousand and one, just you know mm-hmm. two months before nine eleven. And what's interesting is this: that the guy, the director in the audio commentary, says that because of this. He doesn't see Gabriel as a villain. He sees him not only as a great figure, but in a way kind of a hero. And this audio what commentary was, was recorded like, must have been recorded like just after 9-11. So yeah. that just felt very reflective of the political situation at the time to me. They, I think, I don't think there's any misillusion that this guy is, the director is trying to portray him as this weird kind of villain, this anti-hero. Like, I mean, in all intents and purposes, this guy is a villain, no? This guy is a complete villain. But the film goes out of its way to portray him as being aloof and a mastermind and, you know, this sort of tech genius. And, you know, it's a pretty wild narrative this film has on, like, you know, terrorism and, like, the involvement in the US and stuff. Yeah, it definitely, um, I mean, you wonder how much of it is kind of retrospective, like this guy sort of going into the commentary booth post 9-11, trying to make the film maybe seem more relevant to audiences, or or whether yeah, he just yeah, went yeah. in saying, hey, this Gabriel Shear guy is actually a good guy because he's killing the evil brown terrorist people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And he, he gets away with it, you know, like, to, he, at the end of the day, that's the happy ending of the film, is he gets away with it. And it, it, stuff, you know? it, it is indeed that we'll be coming on to. So Stanley, unlike the director, is completely horrified by this, pulls the plug on Gabriel's, net, on the network in Gabriel's base, and then runs off. Um, as, as Gabriel begins his bank heist that we actually opened, we opened the film with, so we have the hostages sort of there. We also have Vinnie Jones um, in the school bus that's transporting the hostages, threatening to stick his rocket launcher up the arse of one of the hostages, which again is totally weird. It come, belongs to a completely different over-the-top movie that the directors, than the one that the director's trying to make or trying to create the impression of. 
Oh yeah, I I missed this. I love how uh, Hugh Jackman just pulled out that one wire too. That yeah. just the one wire, and then he ran out. Yeah, that was like a, it was like a more like a slapstick kind of comedy. And 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 on the way and on the way to the bank, um, Stanley's asking Gabriel how he can justify his actions, and Gabriel gives the whole speech of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Which, you know, does, I mean, it does kind of justify what the director's saying. It does add a bit of grayness to Gabriel's character. But I think the problem is because of the way Travolta plays the character, he comes off as like a very dark grey rather than truly morally ambiguous. Well, he seems to be above any kind of um, authority, no? Like he's a, he's, well, essentially he's a terrorist, no? Like he, he is himself causing terror in order to prevent bad things from happening you know so like again his it's just it's just how we how the movie is portraying him is saying like oh he is doing what's necessary but um and, essentially he's a terrorist and there's just no scenes with him like like um alone or like not talking about the mission right like you the only time you see gabriel is like when he's full in full gabriel mode like you never see him like alone or like <laughs> What he's actually like, like away from people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What I will full, full on madman. What I will say though is, I like the revelation that the um the beginning of the movie was actually the, the beginning of the climax of the movie because we flash forward to the aftermath of the explosion at the bank and we realize, oh right, that scene we saw at the beginning was actually from the movie's end, which blew my mind as a fourteen year old, not familiar <laughs> with non linear storytelling. Uh, I don't. Sure. Whether, I don't know if it has that same effects on you guys watching now in twenty twenty three as for, as thirty something year olds. Hmm. Mike, what do you think? You hadn't seen. No, it I definitely. I, I will. I would have been much more impressed. So, like, seeing this as a fourteen year old for sure. That would have. That would have blew my mind as a fourteen year old. Definitely. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is very much an ideal movie. To, you should really watch it for the first time when when you're fourteen, because that's the only way you'll. Oh really my god! Just enjoy just it, to, just to see Halle Berry. Oh yeah, well that as well. Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, I, I mean, just I love that. I mean, I'm, we're way past this now, but that opening monologue was great. Just as, as a 33 year old, I'm like, I, I really like that opening. Yeah, there's been moments where the writing really works, and it and it and it happens mm-hmm. ironically with Gabriel's dialogue. You know, mm-hmm. they, they really do give the devil all the best lines in this case. There's almost there's almost too many characters. Like if the, if the whole movie was like Travolta and like Halle Berry and then like if you didn't even have Hugh Jackman's character and like the daughter, the, all that side plot, I feel like it would have been even better. Yeah. If it was just like Agreed. full full Gabriel. Yeah. And I feel like you don't need the cop side, you know, as great as Don oh, Cheadle. Yeah. Everything yeah. He did. Like Don Cheadle was a great, great uh, actor. But you almost don't need that whole cop sideline, the whole DEA, because it doesn't really amount to anything. Like you're just again, taking time away. Yeah, you're taking time away from the main story. Yeah, and again, the 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 hackers, terrorists, whatever you want to call them, are just one step ahead. The entire film, the cops, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. so dumb. The whole yeah. entire film, um, they just look like real idiots compared to like this mastermind guy. You know. Mm-hmm. So also what's happened is, is that as soon as Stanley, we jumped ahead a bit, as soon as Stanley fled Gabriel, fled, fled from Gabriel's sort of base, he, he goes to his daughter's house in, and finds that uh, Melissa and the Pawn King are both dead. 
and Holly has been kidnapped by Gabriel and he's being and she's being held along with the other bank hostages at the bank. And Gabriel says that he'll set Holly free as soon as Stanley uses his worm program to hack into the hack into the um to the accounts and to get him his money. However, what he finds is this that once and initially it seems like the money's been transferred and and Stanley's been you know, and 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 Gabriel is walking off with the money. However, Stanley's included a fault in the in the program that leads to the money jumping away from Gabriel's account and going to all the other kind of seven accounts. Um, Gabriel then sort of threatens. Um, so, and 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 so what then happens is that what then happens is is that Gabriel then threatens Ginger. He, he he sort of reveals that he knows that Ginger was DEA and strings her up until Stanley transfers the money back to Gabriel this time properly. He does this, this Stanley manages to do it this time. However, Gabriel just shoots Ginger anyway. Um, so a shocking turn of events, which again, as a 14 year old, this really caught me off guard. I don't know what you guys thought. Oh, they cut me off guard too. I was I was cut off guard. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump ahead at it because like I don't want to spoil I don't want to spoil it in terms of the narrative of the of the film. But I think the film could have done such a better job. And I think Mike, you said the same thing. Is if the rapport between John Travolta and um, Halle Berry was better to make that more meaningful. Oh, dude, me, oh, that, I, yeah. it meant almost nothing to me because. Like I, I, I thought because he has he has no regard for anybody's life in the whole film, so it meant nothing to me. Like because I was like, well, he of course he's going to kill her. Do you know what I mean? Like he has he is just a killing machine in a way, you know? Yeah, and like um like talking about the ending or whatever. But it's like um I wish there just like I wish this movie had two scenes with just uh travolta and halle berry like as like uh like like without anyone else in the room just to, yeah. like know like more about their backstory and like them working together and stuff i feel like if you just had two scenes it would make so much more sense but i guess in a way that would maybe give away one of the twists that i'm going to come on to at the end of the film yeah so true. so now moving on to another over the top action sequence Gabriel then successfully leaves with all the hostages in the um all the hostages hostages in the school bus that they're taking control oh, oh, of. This is great. And and they say <laughs> and he says, I, I want an air I want an airplane available at the local uh, at the runway in, in 25 minutes. And as they're driving to the airport with police escorts and FBI, Gabriel breaks the bus sort of breaks away. And there's a helicopter flies overhead. Gabriel's henchmen open up two hatches on the roof of the bus. Two hooks come down from the helicopter and attach themselves to the bus. And the bus becomes airborne. Amazing. Now, I need to know every word the director said in the <laughs> in the in the commentary. What, what what did they say? What did the director say about the scene? These scenes? he was he was mostly just talking about the logistics of it. Honestly, he yes, was, he was just know. talking about the yeah. logistics. He was just talking about. They filmed it. I think they actually filmed it all on location. They actually, um, they 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 didn't fake a lot of it. Actually, they used a real life bus. And well, I was gonna they, say because the CGI wasn't that good back then. No. Like I'm like, 
It looks great. It actually looks. It looks so good. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the filmmaker here is, I think, actually genuinely really talented. Like, yeah. It, the filmmaker here is really special, and it cuts together really nicely. Like, again, oh good, yeah. could be I from did. another film. You know, yeah, it, oh my god, yeah. From a much bigger action movie, but it, it does it's all a physical effect, all real life effects. And uh, and, and then, then there's the then there's the part where where one of the um where one of the wires holding up the bus breaks, and not only do two hostages go out and crash against the side of the building, causing an, an explosion, which looks very dodgy um yeah. straight after 9-11. So you can see why this film got pulled. From UK cinemas, but you also have a scene where the bus crashes into the side of the building as a meeting's mm -hmm. going on, and I think they I, actually. I have, I have to talk to you about that. I have to mention about the scene because I, I think literally they're talking about like advertising or marketing yeah. in that room, and like I think they like the that's like the director killing like the marketing people. Yeah, you know, as like oh, for sure, you know, as like you know suckers of joy basically you know especially as a commercial director yeah that was definitely a personal, personal <laughs> yeah thing. such a cool sequence was... i think that was the only part that was filmed on a studio against like a, a blue screen but they actually had like a physical model of a bus crashing into each window um if i That's remember really, correctly yeah. from the behind the scenes stuff it's a really like expensive like choice for the director to make just to like exercise some hatred towards <laughs> yeah. a whole department of people. You but know, it... to be like, you know, we, we have to spend three million on this sequence because, you know, like we hate these guys or whatever, you know. But it really stands out though. It's like such a unique action sequence. And yeah, okay, you can argue it belongs to a different movie, maybe one that's less grounded, but it's just you know what? It's it's worth it just to include that sequence. Yeah, it's it's almost it's a little like you know Con Air, you know where they crashes into the casino. Yeah, it's very like pretty epic. You're right. So what happens is is that the bus eventually lands on a rooftop where Gabriel has a chopper waiting for him. The hostages are all let go, and the FBI eventually eventually manage to catch up to to the rooftop, and his and his um and his Roberts looks on. Um, Stanley picks up a rocket launcher, how he learned to operate one, I have no idea, and aims it at Gabriel's <laughs> helicopter and blasts him out of the sky. Amazing. So good. Um, yeah, apparently, uh, he's, he must be the only hacker who learns, who knows how to operate an RPG or a rocket and launcher. Also, it's vital. It's absolutely vital to John Travolta's plan that yeah. Hugh Jackman knew the shot. Like oh, if he doesn't yeah. nail his job, then oh, right, 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 right. it's but then his whole plan is obsolete. Yeah, everything, <laughs> everything hinges cool. on Hugh Jackman behaving exactly in the way that John Travolta yeah. wanted him to behave. The Gabe's is just so on point with everything that he just knows how everyone's going to act. You know? Yeah, he's the magically game. psychic. He's magically psychic. Yeah, yeah. He's just he's got he's got such a good way with people, you know, as you can see when he hits <laughs> clubs, um, when he goes to his tailor, um, all these things just make him just such a an insightful human being. Some may call that bad screenwriting, but we're being kind here and saying <laughs> it's just a showcase of how awesome Gabriel Gabriel Shear is. Exactly, exactly, yeah. On record. So then <laughs> 
So the next scene has the coroner showing um, Stanley and Roberts Gabriel's charred body, and it obviously appears mm -hmm. to be him. And it, and he's also identified as being an ex-Mossad agent, which is an interesting point that brings up that Gabriel has had multiple secret identities and just kind of adds to the mystery of the character. I do think that that whole idea of him having secret identities, I do feel that's well established in the film of like making him seem yeah. more unknowable than we think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. And we get another twist as we find out that Ginger was never on the DEA records, so she's not an agent, and her body isn't in any of the morgues. And this then mm -hmm. triggers Stanley to remember Gabriel's mad conversation about misdirection, and he puts two and two together and realises that Gabriel's escaped. However, he doesn't care about that as he's got enough money to get custody of his daughter. And we see him and Holly planning a family trip in a roadside cafe. Yeah. yeah. Complete tonal yeah. shift. Complete tonal shift. He's never once mentioned he wants to do a, a road trip around America, but that's what they're doing. Yeah, apparently, yeah, apparently he's now completely given up the hacking game. He wants to be a full-time wholesome daddy and not and, and nothing, not even the allure of Halle Berry and her berries, nor the, the thrill of typing away randomly on a keyboard is going to take him away from that. And, and you know what kids need when they've been living in a porn household for many years? Instability. What? You know, yeah. they need to be coming around the country in a trailer. Precisely. You know? Yeah, yeah, agreed. So we, so, again, so we then go to Monte Carlo, where a mysterious woman... Is transferring is transferring money into into accounts, and it turns out to be the mysterious the mysterious woman turns out to be Dun 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 Ginger, and she's transferring the stolen and she's and she and Gabriel have got the money and are, and are living large, as we as we see her go to a nice to a nice yacht, and we see Gabriel dressed down for him. He's only wearing an untucked uh, shirt, white shirt. And he's changed his look. He's now oh, got yeah. short, short platinum blonde, or is it is it white or platinum blonde? I think it's platinum blonde. Yeah, yeah. Platinum blonde hair, and he's got um he's completely clean shaven, which is apparently enough to change his identity, even though he was very prolific as Gabriel uh, when when he was sort of looking like the with the long hair and the goatee, even though he's going around all the nightclubs, nobody's gonna <laughs> recognize him. No, no. If you if you have a little strip of a goatee, all camera detection software cannot distinguish you afterwards if you go clean shaven. It's basically it's, uh, it's, it's basically the, it's basically the, it's basically the early two thousands metro sexual equivalent of Clark Kent and his glasses. You know, yes. glass, oh glasses God, on yeah. Clark Kent, glasses off. Where's he gone? It's Superman. And um, you know, no. maybe maybe a little bit too much credit to the film here. But um, Halle Berry is essentially his. If he's Houdini, is essentially his um, like assistant, right? Oh his, yeah, his, his magic assistant. I don't know if that's the correct term. Oh yeah, and by killing her, is essentially soaring in her, soaring her right. apart, yeah. performing, performing that trick. Yeah, um, I, didn't even, I didn't even connect that. That's great. Yeah, so it the. Credit to the film a little bit there for like coming yeah. full circle with the musical, 
you that, know that that could be intentional on the part of the screenwriter to be fair so Please. as as we've got um Gabriel and Ginger um on on their on their luxury life we then sort of we then sort of cut, we then sort of go to a long shot of a yacht where an Arab terrorist who recently bombed a US embassy um has been has been revealed to have been blown up in a mysterious terrorist attack and we see the um the the luxury um liner blowing up as a result of Gabriel's activity as we see he's gone to he's gone on to commit more terrorist attacks bringing swordfish yeah. to an end now do you think they were setting it up for a sequel? Do you think with the the ending with Halle Berry and Travolta like setting, I think so. setting sail? I, I like I I wouldn't be opposed to a sequel if it was just those two. Like if if there's a lot less characters, I'd be like, you know what? I I give it a I give it another watch if there's a, a sequel. Yeah, but the thing is, though, would Travolta have been the good guy? Because because any sequels would have been made post nine eleven. Oh, that's true. I think I, like. This film perfectly sets up like the next coming like years of like films that are like like anti-terrorism, right? Like uh you know, like in terms of like how it's portraying like, you know, Middle Eastern culture or anything like this. It's just it's just a wild connection uh in the in the zeitgeist, really, isn't it? Just a a, a George W. Bush vibe to, to everything. Well, and of course it's at this point of the commentary that the guy that that the director talks about, you know, Gabriel Shear maybe being a good guy after all. And you're like, not yeah. really, not really, Dom. Nope. You've kind of, not really, Dom. You've kind of portrayed him as the bad guy. And I don't yeah. know if this kind of <laughs> imperial overreach is really something we should be encouraging, given what's <laughs> going to happen in Iraq and Afghanistan over the next decade or so. Right. But it's, 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 it's very wild because it's not even the fact that he commits so much murder and atrocities within <laughs> the US. You know, in the whole film, yeah. and then to portray him as like getting away with it, kind of the good guy, um, and even Hugh Jackman when he like starts to piece it together, there's a small smile on his face. You know, there's a small like oh, the games, oh, oh, that's classic games, that's game, that little scam. You know, just kidnapping yeah, no, my no, daughter, classic, classic guy. <laughs> classic yeah, games. he kidnaps his daughter. He like puts a gun to his head multiple times. <laughs> It's all, it's all fun and games, you know. So yeah. you don't so so you don't see it as the director did because they shot alternate endings where Stanley manages to get the money away from Halle Berry when she's in Monte Carlo and he's still in the cafe. There are two alternative endings shot where he manages to steal the money away from them, and they were rejected by the directors being too cliche Hollywood ending yeah. where the villain gets the just just desserts you don't see the theatrical ending that we have now as being a subversion of these characteristics because that would line up with what gabriel's going on about in the opening right right, right. Mm, interesting i i think it is a subversion right because you very rarely see this kind of ending on in in a film i just think it it's not a successful subversion you know it does it it makes a character who is who has been a villain the whole time there is no there is nothing redeeming in my eyes anyway in my subjective opinion nothing redeeming about him to make me you know see his point of view at all but that yeah. could be very different to anyone especially know. with all the murder you know? oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Murder, you know? the murder yeah yeah i mean <laughs> classic games but murder you know murder's murder 
So what did you guys ultimately think of Swordfish? Do you feel it's an undiscovered classic or do you think actually, <laughs> you know what, maybe it's best to just leave it to one side? <laughs> if those are the only two those are the only two options, I'm going to say it's a classic. Why not? <laughs> I have to say the same thing. Absolutely. Like it's so of the era and yeah. it, and it is it's like it's going to predate this huge cult, this whole, this huge cultural shift in in pop culture in a way that like it's worth examining, it's worth looking at, and it's just it's yeah. Travolta going full games, you know. Yeah, gotta, oh, yeah. gotta watch it for that. It's got to be done. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I mean, there's lots that I still like about the film. Watching it now after so many years of not watching it, there's still a lot that I kind of like. Like, I mean, oh, the yeah. opening still blows me away. The action sequences do. Um, Gabriel's plan when I first watched this I was like whoa Gabriel predicted like 9-11 and predicted how the US was going to act this film is so forward thinking now yeah. I don't think that so much but I do admire the film for having the balls to go there with Gabriel's plan of acting against terrorist states not being fully who attacked the US and not being a fully black bad guy. And also I do kind of, I've got to admire the filmmakers for letting him get away and not, and not fully sort of, and not, and not having him sort of have his comeuppance as you would expect for going against the cliches, even though, um, even though it's debatable now as an adult, whether he should have really got away with it. Uh, the such um, the objectification I could maybe have done without. I mean, I liked seeing Holly Berry's tits when I was fourteen, but now they've grown up a bit. Um, yeah, the, the the portrayal of women is is not so great. You've either got Drea Dimitrios being Stanley Shrillex, or you've got Holly Berry as kind of like the temptress character who's always trying to get Stanley back on side, and that's that's something that's not aged so well. Mm, agreed. But in saying that, it's worth a watch. It's a, I am going to say it's a secret success. It's very much of its era, in many ways, good and bad stylistically. And I like that it takes more chances than stuff from the uh, from this period, because often I feel that just before the Bourne Identity kind of was released with Matt Damon, action movies of the late, particularly the early 2000s in Hollywood were starting to get a bit stale. They were, they were very much relying on, purely in formula and they were borrowing a lot of the wrong things from like Hong Kong action cinema, which made them seem very unrealistic and goofy. And this seems to be the only movie that kind of stepped away from that, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a very, it's a very like American style film, right? Like, like pop culture wise. It's just, yeah. it's just like, it's impressive to see that something like that got made. You know, like it's they get, the fact that that movie gave, had a budget of like a hundred million dollars is like yeah. it's just like a it's a perfect example of how like ridiculous Hollywood can be at sometimes. You know, although in saying that, if this movie was made now, it would be straight to uh, straight to Netflix. It would be straight to streaming oh, yeah. services and cost like I don't yeah, know, yeah 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 and cost like really, fifty million. Yeah, take away the cocaine budget, right? Before oh you yeah, can, before you can like actually like figure out how much the film costs, you've got to subtract that. Oh, oh yeah. my god, that's like 
I just want to know, I would love to know the process of how they made the movie. Like one of them had like Travolta had to be attached while they're pitching it to like the studios or something like I have well, so many questions. about that. Well, well, apparently he'd been offered the film multiple times, but it turned it down until Dominic Senna met him in his house late at 12 midnight, which is apparently Travolta's, oh <laughs> Travolta's peak time, apparently to give him his take oh on the script. God. And Travolta was like, yeah, I like your I like your style. I'm going with it. Wow. That's amazing. So that was um that was Swordfish. Uh thank you for joining us on Films <laughs> that Time Forgot. Um I'd like to give a big shout out to my guests, Mike Lem. Yeah, thank you. Hey, thank you. Uh Lemmy. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, whatever. Lemmy, yeah, Lemmy, no, sorry. Good. Whoops. I, I was gonna go. ask you before, uh, was it Lem or was it Lemmy? Nah, man. Uh -uh. Thank you for having me, man. But this um, was like a this was a fun experience. Uh, and thanks to uh, Joel Gutteridge as well. Thank you, guys. My pleasure being here. So, um, what full are Gabe's going full Gabe's going Gabes. full Gabe's? Um, what are you guys up to? Um, what what have you guys coming up next that you can kind of promote or whatever? Nothing. Oh, so nothing on my end. Yep. Nothing on my end. <laughs> so uh right now i have a um i don't what when's this coming out do you know um this is well uh, this is good well this is going to be um released on soundcloud and apple podcasts on uh september 19th perfect so right now i have a, a gofundme campaign happening to bring uh, uh, my new play Before the Drugs Kick In that we just had a very successful run at the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, we're trying to bring that show off Broadway. So we have a kick, uh, GoFundMe campaign going on right now. If anyone's out there listening, has an extra, you know, um, five pounds or whatever, five dollars, five pounds that they want to donate to something interesting. Uh, every dollar, every every pound helps to uh, get this show from Edinburgh to uh, off-Broadway theater. And um, it's stand-up, it's theater, it's time travel, um adam saw it. adam wrote a fantastic review for the show from the from the fringe and uh we're just trying to take the show as far as we can take it so if you have um uh, a couple bucks they can donate to uh uh artistic endeavor we we can make it happen okay talk to you john travolta if john travolta is uh, listening well yeah yep so john if you're listening get on that thank you john <laughs> so next episode we're going to be looking at the 1989 michael douglas action thriller black rain directed by ridley scott which is a fascinating film on many levels um films that time forgot can be can of can as i've just said it will be available on soundcloud and apple podcasts however if you want to get it a week early um, you can subscribe to my Patreon, um, Forney Film Reviews. It only costs, for £6 a month, you get uh, Films That Time Forgot a week early, and you also get access to my written reviews. Uh, I am on Twitter at Adam Thornton, at, at Adam Thornton 90, and I, and, and I write uh, reviews for, um, I actually wrote uh, a review for, for, for Mike's show for Edinburgh-based website, thewereview.com, that's we as in W-E-E, -E, not the French wee-wee. Oui, oui. um, mm -hmm. So until then, keep watching. <laughs>